Um, so welcome to the Association of British Neurologists uh, Autumn Meeting at the Connaught Rooms in London. I'm lucky to have with me uh, Neil Robertson, um, who's uh, just uh, taken part in a debate actually on uh, stem cell therapy for uh, multiple sclerosis. Uh, so Neil, welcome. Um, could you uh, could you summarise your position really? As uh, you know, when you you were. Uh, advocating that there was a lot of hype around stem cell therapy for uh, multiple sclerosis. Well, it's clearly a very hot topic uh, and I think one of the great difficulties is what uh, the understanding of the patient's um, position is about stem cell transplantation or that understanding of what's involved is entirely different to what um, a neurologist understand by uh, the opportunities for stem cell transplantation. So it is probably the case, or certainly the case, that the majority of patients treated worldwide with stem cell therapy had autologous uh, hemopoietic stem cell therapy but without ablation in unregulated centres in Mexico, in America, in China and so forth. But actually the real interest is about um, stem cell transplantation following uh, ablative therapy. And that raises many more interesting questions and is something that as uh, MS um, neurologists, we need to keep a close eye on. So uh, how do you think that this works? How do you think the stem therapy, is, is it the uh, induction therapy or is it the actual stem cells themselves that are having the effect? So this is the million dollar question about this particular um, treatment. Um, so in order for it to be effective, we ablate the immune system uh, with drugs like mitoxandrone, like busulfan, like alemtuzumab, which as you know is also used in uh, multiple sclerosis. I think there is a reasonable assumption that there is a significant therapeutic effect from the ablation. Uh, the question is whether the stem cell transplantation following this uh, offers any added benefit other than uh, re reconstituting the immune system in a slightly different way and therefore saving the patient's life. Um, so, so what do you think happens in the longer term? So you turn off the disease activity in the same way you might reboot the uh, immune system with alituzumab. What happens in the longer term to the secondary progressive phase of therapy? Is there any evidence to suggest it's any different to any other immune therapy? Well, one important um, feature of the collective trials, most of which have been uncontrolled, unregulated, prospective case series, is that there's a clear lack of efficacy in progressive, primary progressive or secondary progressive disease. So I think going forward we should not see, or one may argue that it's unethical to consider these, uh, this particular intervention in patients who have progressive disease. There's a different issue about patients with relapsing disease uh, and it does seem to have quite a profound effect as you might expect in a disease which we know is immunological that is if you remove the immune system of somebody's, uh, from an, a patient with multiple sclerosis one might assume and expect that it would have some effect. But one of the interesting features was that despite uh, in a small Canadian study um, that uh, uh, no relapses uh, no MR activity was seen for the period of follow-up. A significant proportion of the patients still progressed. So there is a, a, a separation still between inflammatory and degenerative diseases which we haven't bridged and which it is li not likely that stem cell transplantation will bridge in isolation. Uh, so clearly uh, there's a big need for a randomised controlled trial. If you were going to put it up against a modern immunotherapy like alituzumab, what sort of power do you think you'd need to sort of identify uh, uh, any potential difference? I know that's sort of impossible to, to say accurately, but as a guess, you know. 
Well, thank you. Difficult question. Uh, I think that um, if you look at the size of the studies uh, of the more contemporary studies of the monoclonal antibodies, that's the type of um, size uh, of initially phase two studies that, that people would be looking at. So that is several hundred patients per arm. I think one of the difficulties in, is going to be in patient selection. So we now have uh, a number of uh, appropriate uh, contemporary therapies that have high efficacy. Um, uh, and the patients who should be randomized into stem cell transplantation presumably should have failed a high efficacy therapy. So in my mind, that should be a monoclonal antibody. The two monoclonal antibodies that are around at the moment are um, centered on T-cell um, uh, function or a deletion. But it may well be that over the next year, with ocrelizumab coming out, uh, that there might be a case for patients having failed both the T-cell therapy and a B-cell therapy before being considered for stem cell transplantation. Against that, there's the well-established issue of a therapeutic window in multiple sclerosis. And if you're going to take on a high-risk therapy, uh, then being able to recognize and uh, apply that treatment as early as possible in the disease uh, will be necessary. So there are these complicated factors that people are going to have to address within the design of a clinical trial with an appropriate comparator. So um, what, what sort of death rates and morbidity rates are we talking about with modern um, immunostem cell therapy? So there's no doubt that um, uh, mortality, and people often quote transplant-related mortality, that's the short-term mortality, is going down over time. So on average, um, maybe a decade ago, it was 3 or 4%, but now we're seeing rates of under 1%. But against that, you have to balance the uh, method of conditioning. So high-intensity conditioning still has a relatively high mortality rate, uh, between 1% and 3%, uh, and that's an important issue. And I think although the focus has been on mortality, I think that uh, as they're overcoming the issues around uh, that and reducing the mortality, we now need to concentrate on morbidity and the rate of grade 3 and grade 4 adverse events in some of the recent trials was extraordinarily high uh, and that must have an impact on our decision to apply that treatment and also for the quality of life and the overall expense of the therapy. So if you accept the, the high uh, mortality and morbidity rates and you accept that alatuzumab and ocrelizumab may have similar efficacies, is it hope or is it hype? Well, I think that um, because of the very heterogeneous trials, the very variable um, inclusion criteria of the patients, I think we would have to assume that it's more hype than hope at the moment. And one of the reasons I say that is because the number of patients who clearly fail monoclonal therapy out of a large population is very small. So even if it was an effective treatment, it would still be applied to a relatively small number of patients. Well, thank you very much for your time, Neil. Thank you.